Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. What's up, everybody? My name is Walt. Welcome back to the podcast. We're doing a little thing weird here. I apologize in advance, but we're going to do a little bit of an intro here to the beginning of this show just because uh, we had some technical difficulties on the front end of things, and uh, it ate into our podcasting window, and our guests had very limited time, so we didn't spend a whole lot of time on an intro, and uh, we know that's important to you guys. In fact, we know that's the favorite part of the show for you guys. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't let you guys do without. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a brief intro here, and then I'm going to let you get to the meat and potatoes of this episode, which I think is a really, really good one. Uh, this is going to be one of those episodes you're going to want to see on YouTube as well. So if you don't follow our YouTube channel, definitely check it out. It is the place to be if you want to see these video podcasts after we record them. So uh, let's talk about a little bit of business here. We have got to thank the people who make this show possible. Don't go anywhere. If you're listening to this, uh, this isn't a, an immediate sponsor shout-out here. This is a pro staff shout-out. And the pro staffers who support this show sign up via Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding source that allows us to raise money to offset the operating costs. Gas is expensive, so traveling to shoot videos is tough. There are hosting fees and equipment uh, upgrades and re- equipment repairs and replacements that we have to make over time. And you guys help make this possible. And uh, as part of those benefits, you get shout-outs on the podcast, free merch, discounts on our on our web store, and uh, most recently, Raymond Vidal uh, signed up out of uh, South Florida. I uh, just want to say thanks to him uh, for signing up here recently. Uh, you've got a hat coming your way. In fact, I've got five hats going out, and I've got 22 new shirts going out tomorrow as well. So uh, this kind of brings us to our second point of business on this episode, and that is if you haven't already gotten your Public Land, Florida Public Land Legends t-shirt or your uh, Hobla Gobla t-shirt. We have still got limited quantities online. And if you purchase a Hobla Gobla t-shirt, you get magnets in your order as well. We still have just enough to fulfill some more of those orders. So jump on there, uh, get what you need, and we will get it into the mail to you ASAP. Uh, we appreciate you guys. The money raised from that goes, again, right back into the production costs, the travel costs, everything that that, it, that that goes into running this show and expanding this show. You know, we're moving into a video format uh, to kind of get you guys more content, and uh, I think very soon we're going to start doing more of these live for you guys to interact and see what we're doing uh, live on the show, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. And uh, we, we have partnered up with one company who has, for, through thick and thin, been here with us and has supported every endeavor that we 
we've ever uh, set out to do, and that's Spartan Forge. If you don't know about Spartan Forge, it is a next-generation mapping and deer prediction software. Uh, you need to go back and listen to the episodes that we've done with Bill. This software is next-level good. It, it, it's not going to tell you where you need to find him precisely on a map, but it's going to give you the confidence when you're trying to pick between two and three locations to figure out where you want to go. And it has been ridiculously accurate uh, in the two years that we've used it. So I, I just want to give them some love. And, uh, you know, you can save some money if you use the promo code ChasingTales, T-A-L-E-S, on their website. Lock in for a life, 25% discount, uh, the pricing that's available here. And it is going to be going up in the near future. So head over there, lock in your pricing, get ready for all the cool things that he's rolling out. We've got an episode coming with him really soon. And uh, I'm excited to talk about all the things that are coming out. And I'll tell you something, Bill's a good dude because we're, we're, we're figuring out the yakking for bass challenge which is going to happen again this year for i think the fourth year let me see it's either the third or fourth year i think it's the fourth year um but time is flying by either which way and bill reached out to me and said dude i want to be a part of this and we've got something really cool coming your way and it's a ridiculously generous offer so stay tuned for the announcement of the yakking for bass challenge you're not going to want to miss out on what we're doing as a promo uh, at the beginning of that. So with all of that said, guys, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. We're, we're continuing the trend of these video podcasts where we can bring you topics that are a little more visual, where you can kind of see the interaction and the dynamics a little richer because oftentimes we can't do these in person. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and enjoy the show. We have got our first turkey contributor for the first time in two years. I did the math on this, buddy. It's been two years since you've been on the show. Bo from South Georgia, dude, you, you scrounged up enough internet to join us. Appreciate you, yeah. sir. Yeah, the gerbil's eating overtime tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Love that, man. Love that. And then we are we are joined by Drew Abel, uh, a man everybody in the state of Alabama knows uh, by, by the, the owner of Foot on the Head and Grounded Best. Dude, you are a ridiculously busy man this time of year, but I appreciate you carving out some time. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So what we have here, I'm going to call as the greatest ensemble of turkey hunters ever on the Chasing Tail podcast in one podcast episode, uh, largely because there's four. <laughs> there's four of us for the first time talking turkey. So it's, it's an easy plug there. But uh, the purpose of tonight, we're going to talk about some turkey hunting. I want to get your perspective on Alabama. Alabama is highly regarded as one of the hardest states to hunt. It, you know, everybody thinks they've got the hardest state to hunt. But when I talk to people, across the country and i get i get that privilege all the time about turkeys they 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 they, they turn their nose up at south carolina and those birds are tough to hunt mississippi those birds are tough to hunt louisiana the tough but every one of them like stops the conversation with but i'll tell you what man i got my butt kicked in alabama is, is it as bad as they make it out to be yes and no i think it depends on the time of year and where they're at you know what i mean it's like anything if you hunt a pressured turkey they're they're gonna be hard to kill so, but overall, I would say that we do have a lot of pressure, which is going to make hunting hard here, especially on public ground. Well, I mean, y'all get like five birds for a year. It just, it seems like, and your season runs a pretty good distance. It feels like you guys should just have toms on every corner ready to get shot with those kind of like opportunities. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, we do have a pretty long season. So historically, we've always opened up on March the 15th and, let's see last year or two years ago they pushed it back to like the third saturday 
and now they pushed it back to March the 25th. Uh, so it runs March the 25th through like that first Sunday into May, whatever that date falls on. I think it's like the sixth this year. Um, so we, I mean, yeah, we get a long time. They did drop our bag limit to four. Okay. Uh, some people agreed with, some people didn't agree with. So it depends on which side of the table you're on. I will say there's a perceived decline in turkey numbers across Alabama. I'll agree with it. Um, from what I've seen just growing up and what I remember, you know, through the years, I killed my first one when I was seven, 31 now. So, you know, I've been doing it for a few years and I don't think personally on the farms that we hunt that we have as many turkeys. Uh, but, you know, a lot of factors play into that. I like the qualifier you put on there perceived. That, yeah. that was that was your way of not getting hate mail at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's, right. That's right. I know some people that don't, that don't. They're like, oh, I haven't got more turkeys and I can shake a stick at it. I'm like, good for you. But uh, the places that I, I cannot say the same thing for. <laughs> Bo, I believe you're the only person here who's hunted Alabama for turkeys. Is that right? Yeah, I, uh, I got my butt kicked. Um, is what I got over there. Yeah, I, I, went, I tried a late season hunt over there. Um, I like like very end of the season or when? Yeah, yeah, it was just a last minute thing, and uh, it did. I didn't even hear a bird. Um, it was I, I I can't remember the name. But I was at a national forest uh, up on the north side, right across from me here. Um, and yeah, it didn't it didn't go too well. Um, and I I was it was so miserably hot. And I was so burnt out from the season already. It was uh, that's that's the excuses come out there. <laughs> <laughs> we all got it man we don't we don't have a good hunt oh man you know they were done it was over with yeah I, yeah i mean i killed my bird in mississippi last year never heard a gobble in three days it was that was one of the most miserable hunts i've ever been on my life that ended absolutely amazingly it was uh but yeah alabama was uh i'm, I'm ready to go back y'all uh, y'all just keep increasing those license prices a little too much over there for us out of state boys man i understand I, I completely understand that. I go to Tennessee and hunt a lot because we're like right on the Alabama-Tennessee line. And uh, that's the same way. Their price is the same thing as our price. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. But, hey. Whatever. Yeah, but you, you still get your four birds there too, don't you? The, you? So, the counties that we hunt in in Tennessee have this year drastically changed their season. So, historically, uh -huh. we always opened the first Saturday of April. Now we're not starting this year till the 16th. And we went from four bird bag limit to two bird bag limit. Um, so I probably won't kill my two. I'll probably just kill one if I get the chance. Um, and then call it good with that just because. Um, so my family, we own a farm right over the state line. And it used to be nothing. I mean, literally not exaggerate, 230 acres. We used to kill anywhere from six to 10 longbeards a year off of it and still have three to four turkeys gobbling at the end of the year. It was just unbelievable. You know, you would see flocks in the river bottom, 250 to 300 turkeys every single winter. I mean, not a problem. And that was 15, 16, 17 years ago. And now we're lucky if we see a flock of 30 birds in the wintertime. Um, so it's one of those things, man, I love the resource. I love to hunt. I love to kill turkeys as much as the next guy. But knowing where it was and where it is, it's just like I'm not going to, you know, kill more than – than my one probably just for the you know sake of the resource but and i know a lot of people disagree they're like hey you got 230 acres like you know if you don't shoot a turkey like your neighbors gonna shoot it i'm like well i gotta take that chance you know you know I like I, go ahead oh, I, you said something earlier really that perceived that I, I, I remember the same thoughts 15 years ago um how many birds we used to hear versus i mean we, we still i still have some great populations of birds but 
It is quite dry. I mean, I've, I've had a place with 10 acres. We killed six birds off with, between three of us in one year. Wow. And I haven't heard a bird there in three years. Uh, it's just, and some of the land changed, but just little things like that um, that I don't think people are realizing is, it seems like turkey hunting has exploded the last couple of years. And, yes. and it's just, it's it, for us that we're doing it before it was cool per se, it's, uh, it is different. It's still great, but it is different for sure now. You know, I have a, I have a bit of a warped perspective to this, you know, chase, chase turkey. I, I claim 2020 as the year I became a turkey hunter. I had turkey hunted prior to that, but I didn't know what I was doing. I had no one to teach me. I just kind of went like three or four times and then I bass fished the rest of the spring until it was deer season. You know, that was just kind of what I did. 2020 was like this, like unbelievable pressured year and every, you know, where everybody, you know, everybody's like, Oh, you know, pressure was crazy everywhere i went here man i had spots to you know out the wazoo if i if if i didn't want to go to this spot i could just pick up and go to another spot and there was never a truck there incrementally that pressure in 2021 and and this year has been unreal i mean there has been this unreal bump and i kind of blame a mix of factors largely you know like alabama and georgia rolling their seasons back you know now all those boys are still looking for that early that shotgun start absolutely yeah, we used to be on public land. We don't even have public land to hunt right now. It's still closed. <laughs> <up here. laughs> nice. Yeah, one of my buddies um, down here in Florida, he was hunting a, a piece of public. Uh, it's kind of quotas, basically the first like 15 to 20 hunters that show up uh, get uh, to go in or whatever. And years past, it would be nothing but Florida guys there. And he said this season, it was all out-of-state guys, all Alabama, all Georgia. They were all um, at the gate like 4 o'clock in the morning that first uh, week of the season down here in Florida. He said, And some Kentucky and stuff too, but he, he said he had never seen that many out-of-state guys, um, not even close um, this year uh, relating to like past hunting on that piece. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So – I took the first four days and hunted all first four days. So that was on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday on Monday morning. So the pressure was kind of crazy. Well, it wasn't crazy Saturday because we had the worst storms I've ever seen in in Turkey season come through. And so that kind of kept people out the woods, but Sunday there was a pile of pressure and my buddy leaves Sunday and Monday I go out hunting and I get up at at four o'clock. You know, I live two miles from my, my spot. So it's not hard for me to get there early without getting up too early. And I get there and there's three trucks parked there. I've never seen one park there, let alone the three. And so I go to plan B and I go to plan C and I go to plan D and the panic kind of starts to kick in. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, it's one of those things like there's trucks everywhere. And I started counting the license plates, out-of-state license plates. I wasn't worried about Florida because I didn't think the Florida pressure changed any. From the time I got from spot A to where I finally found a spot where there wasn't a truck parked, I counted 17 Georgia license plates. And it was just like, that is just year over year that's a, a a humongous difference and you know the good news is most of those boys were out of there because i got I, I was bouncing around to like random spots and then just you know doing my thing it's a lot of pick up move to this block pick up move to this block and see if you can strike up a bird and by nine o'clock most of those guys were gone and so you had the woods kind of to yourself but that pressure influx man that's going to change the way the birds act and you know you People from Alabama, they claim it's the heavy pressure and the, and the the long turkey hunting heritage that has conditioned those birds. And I'm used to hearing a lot of birds gobble, and it's not happening right now. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that with pressure, man. I can tell you how many times, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've gone into an area, especially, you know, earlier on in my hunting career, I guess, you know, kind of gung-ho and young, don't know a lot. And then, man, you bump those birds two or three times. And then after that, like gobbling decreased drastically. I mean, drastically. So, yeah, pressure definitely plays into that, no doubt. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I started this season off thinking that I would just have my run of the place. And I've, I've suddenly had to adapt as if I'm out of state and that, that's not something I, I care too much for, but I worry about that, that influx where it comes from. And if we've onboarded those Turkey hunters, what I mean by that is, are, are they, Bo, you and I talk about this all the time. There's a WMA up there that I hunt and the pressure is unreal, but it's not good pressure because it's not people hunting well. And I'm not judging anybody's skills, but there is, someone who pursues it in a way that is productive for everyone. And then there's just someone in the woods for the sake of being in the woods. And I wonder if that, that uptick in popularity of Turkey hunting, have we done enough to make sure that the culture of, of Turkey hunting has been passed on? I, I'd be interested in what your thoughts are. Uh, um, I guess my take on it just real quick, like would be no, I mean, I don't feel like we've done a, a really good job of teaching these young guys and showing them, you know, exactly what it means to do that um, and do it the right way, do it the old school way. Um, but, um, you know, even if we haven't, we can always start now, you know, it's never too late. We always have the opportunity to grow and to get better, you know, as people, as hunters, whatever. So. Oh, you had a thought there. I mean, I was, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we're not supposed to, you know, drive in a truck and stop at the box calling, yelp 10 times and then crank the truck back up immediately and start driving. It's a, that's frowned upon. I, yeah, it's a, the, one of the things I've seen with the influx pressure up here. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm blessed to hunt during the week quite a bit and I, I could almost name the same three trucks in there with me on 30,000 acres. Now there's, 10, 12 trucks on my entrance, whichever entrance that may be that day, um, including the two or three trucks that were there. And I, the one thing I am seeing is uh, just the setup in regards to, you know, parking on your side of the, you know, what side you're planning to go in or where you're planning to go in or giving somebody space. Um, I feel like that used to happen more. Um, and I, maybe I just was blessed and didn't happen as much, but I, I do see now that I may come in one road and I'll see a truck pass that I beat and then I'll meet the guy on the other side of the road uh, before the sun comes up. Um, and I, I'm, I'm normally courteous and I'll just leave, but it, it does seem that, and at first I thought it was just being more crowded, but I really don't know, to be honest with you. And I, I can't imagine some of that stuff I see down in whether the Osceola's where, I mean, you get what a short amount of time to do that and people get desperate with all that money and all that time to kill one bird for, some piece of paper. Uh, it, it's interesting. I'm, and I'm curious to see where it's going to go um, in regards to it, if people are going to get, continue to get so caught up in the kill, as opposed to enjoying, you know, what it's all about, the, the actual, the bird coming in and, you know, the, the experience in those regards. I mean, if it's all about the kill, just the turkey tastes better at Walmart. Just go buy the butter bowl. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on here. Bo, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like we have, commercialized now I'm, I'm acknowledging that this podcast is a part of that commercialization I, I recognize that and but I feel like we have gone so far into 
commercializing the kill above all else that when somebody like Dave, who last year, you know, had a point of it's okay for the turkey to get away, like it, it, you need to be okay when the bird gets away, that's part of it, that that ruffled people's feathers. And you saw this like response of where he's trying, you know, people are like, well, you go from state to state killing birds. And, and he's like, no, this, the point is, isn't don't kill a turkey. The point is, if it gets away, that was literally why you were there. You were there to do the dance. And if the turkey wins, that that's an okay thing. And I feel like that is, I think we've got to, with people who have platforms like ourselves, we have got to do the best we can to kind of continue that message and make sure that, that people understand the right, not the right way. Cause that kind of comes off like pretentious, but how to further the tradition of turkey hunting, I guess is what I'm really trying to say, but we got off on a deep note there. I can see Chase is about to like shoot me a text and be like, dude, you pulled this up. This has got too dark too quick. Um, <laughs> Drew, how's your turkey season gone so far this year? Man, it started out good. So I got the opportunity to go to Texas. I've got a friend that, um, man, he's just been so good to us and invites us to come down there, has the past two or three years. And we get to go down there and hunt on his ranch. And so it started out with a bang down there um, and came back to Alabama and, um, you know, was humbled really quick like <laughs> <laughs> back here um historically the first probably week of the season we usually have a, a pretty good bit of success um and this year was not the case i mean for the, like the first seven or eight hunts i didn't even feel like i was ever in the game you know mm. and it's just like man you know it's starting to you know chomp at the bit and it's getting all over me and i'm like who's been touched like and uh you know and then all of a sudden it happens and then it happens again so you know, slowly it's starting to get better, you know, but at the end of the day, I always tell myself, especially right now, it's still early. Like, yeah. man, we're only on what, April 12th to 13th right now. Like we still got, you know, another month of the season, another four weeks left. So we got plenty of time. And to be honest, like historically here, that last week of April has those seven days have been my best seven days. I mean, if I were to go back and can only hunt one week, that's going to be the week I'm going to hunt personally. Um, for whatever reason, I can find turkeys and usually get it, get the you know deal sealed. So, but it's been a struggle. Hopefully, it continues to pick up day by day. We'll see. <laughs> Bo Chase, we we know how how your season's gone. You 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 get some airtime, so I'm gonna jump to Chase or, or to Bo real quick. Uh, how how's your season gone so far, sir? Uh, it it started off where I thought it was gonna be really hot. Uh, it took a youth, and uh, uh, I will say, five years old is about almost too young to uh to not be in a ground blind uh pro tip there he uh he loved hearing the gobbles but he could not sit still and his dad couldn't keep him still um he got to see a few birds but not not anywhere near shotgun range um but he had a great time but since then i, I haven't felt like i've been in the game um i've been kind of hanging back a little bit uh with georgia changing the laws of, with the public land um i mean i've, I've got about sixty thousand acres within an hour of me and I think 10,000 of it has just now opened up um, this past weekend. So I'm going to start trying to hit some here, but I've been kind of just keeping tabs on birds. A lot of our birds are still really clumped up up here. Um, I saw seven long beards uh, Sunday in a field with one hen and they were all in the truck. Uh, it just, I, I'm not a big fanner, so I wasn't going to fan them. And, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'm waiting for them to start breaking on off a little bit. And I, I agree with what Dave said at the, the end of April, first of May, uh, especially on my lease, the pressure leaves and I'm able to do a lot more work. So I'm, it's early. I'm getting ready to uh, kind of chase that, that next little stage there. 
Right on. I think uh, I hunted Georgia this past weekend because it was the opener. Every single hen and tur- every single turkey I saw, with the exception of two, were hens. And all of those hens were by themselves and acting like they were trying to distract me from from the, the brush where I was finding them. So it's interesting you say that because in my area of Georgia, I came away with the feeling like the rut was already over, like, you know, like it was done. And, and I went back Saturday was a terrible day weather wise. And I went back Sunday, like, Oh, I'm about to smash one in the face. Cause I just, if they're all bred, man, we're right here in the middle of, of the season. Like he's gotta be looking for, looking for love and dude, it was dead silent. Um, <laughs> but Chase, dude, you had one of the coolest experiences uh, in a while. You sent me a video the other day from the, from, from the woods, which had to be absolutely maddening. <laughs> yeah that's true um i got on a bird gobbling that morning uh when he gobbled i was way off so i knew i had to cut the distance quite a bit cut the distance uh he gobbled again i uh, felt like i was pretty close got set up uh and this was this was probably maybe generally about 15 20 minutes after they fly down time or whatever so assuming that they were on the ground uh, get set up, um, do it like a little yelp and cluck or whatever. And the bird gobbled. It sounded like he was right on top of me, like probably 50 yards through these pines. Like, oh, he's, 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 he's coming. He's going to come right here. And sat there for like 10, 15 minutes, nothing. Uh, decided, I was like, well, I'll, I'll give him a little something again. Didn't hear anything. And I'm like, I'm like, where's this bird? I was like, he, it sounded like he was just like 50 yards away from me. So I get, I decided to get up, start walking down this little, basically two track and I get probably maybe a hundred yards and I hear something fly, flying and I look up and it looks like to be a gobbler that was already in the tree. This oak tree flies up higher on one of the limbs and I'm thinking I was like well did I just bust him or whatever I was like I would have figured he wouldn't have just flown up higher in the tree maybe he would have flown off to the next county or something but not higher in the tree and so um, I kind of step back for a second and then I look in the tree and the bird is in full strut in the tree just sitting there full strut and I can hear his wings like clicking on the the oak limb that he's on just click click and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he's not paying me any attention. He's kind of looking away from me. So I back into these pine trees nearby. So they're call a little bit. Never hear anything. 15, 20 minutes goes by. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to step back out and see if he's still out there. He's still in the same spot. Still in full strut, in the same spot, <laughs> on the limb. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to get back up in the trees again <laughs> and uh, see if I can't coax him um, to come down. Do the same thing, 20, 30 minutes goes by, nothing. Go back out, still full strut in the tree. I can still hear the wings just clicking on the branch. I'm like, all right. I was like, I can, I figured I could go through the pines, get on the backside to see what the bird is actually doing because there were some limbs and stuff in the way. And I could see his wings uh, quite a bit, but I wanted to get on the backside. So I finally go, go around, get on the backside of this bird, come back out to the road, and I can see his fan. Like he's still full strut on the tree. And there's a hen still in the tree with him. So this hen was like working, slowly working away from him, and he was slowly working towards this hen. 
And I'm like, all right, well, and she's like working away from me as well. So I'm like, this, this probably isn't going to end well uh, at all. But I sat there for a little while. He's just like creeping right behind her in the tree the entire time. And this is uh, probably over two hours after fly down, still in the tree, um, strutted the, strutted the whole time. I could finally see his beard. Um, he probably had like a 10 inch beard or something like that. And she's just working up this limb. And then she finally runs out of real estate and she decides she's going to fly down. Well, of course she flies down the exact opposite direction I'm in, in the woods, he looks at, he takes like one look at her flying down. He kind of, it almost looks like he looked to see where she landed and then wham, he follows her uh, to where she's at. And uh, the only thing I can think of is why they were still in that tree is there were, there was a field, there's a field that they like to go to. Like they had just planted some pines there. And there's also kind of like a watermelon field that butts up to it. And some of the farmers were in there like first thing in the morning. And they were making noise. I could hear them over there. And they had finally left probably right before that. Like there was nothing else in that field or whatever. And she, the hen probably decided she, it was time to fly down. That's, that's the only thing I can think of with them being in the tree for like two hours um, after fly down. And I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's the only thing I think of, but you, you, I've never had that happen where it just sits there and strutting a tree for two hours, slowly following the hen the entire time. He could have been trying to convince her to join the Mile High Club. Possible. <laughs> Very possible. I'm she at didn't work. take him up on it, though. <laughs> I'm at work, and Chase is like, I got one goblin on the limb. This joker sends me a video, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some way of putting it in this in this video for you guys on YouTube who are watching but it is broad daylight. I'm talking, it is just bluebird skies. You would, if you told me what time of day this is, I'm thinking it's like 11 o'clock, you know, it's, it's unreal. And I was just expecting, I'm sitting here at work, like a, you know, a schmuck just dying to be in the woods. And of course my co-host, you know, back in the day, he never worked. And so it was like every day I could live vicariously through him. And I'm like, my phone would go off. I go, I'd grab my phone. I'd be like, it's my mom. Okay. Put it back down. You know, I grab my phone. He'd go off and I'm doing this number. And finally like, like three o'clock, this joker leaves me hanging until 3 p.m. to respond. He's like, yeah, she flew down in the other direction and left. I'm like, dude, I've been dying every day. Like I'm in meetings. I'm like pulling my phone out, waiting to see this like gobbler, you know, like, so in my defense, I was actually, I was, I had told my dad I was going to help him do something that day. And I was already like an hour behind. I kept texting him like, Hey dad, sorry, I'll be there. I'm like, I'm waiting for the turkey to fly down. I'm waiting for the turkey to fly down. Once he flies down then, and I'll see where it goes. But, uh, and then I was just hightailing it back to the truck, trying to get, um, to where my dad was to uh, help him out. But yeah, um, <laughs> do some strange stuff sometimes. Yeah, man. That's, uh, I told him, I, I think what we need to do is we need to get you some like number four TSS or something so that next time you can just knock the branches down and, you know, follow <laughs> up with a, with a good ethical shot, you know, but I don't know. I don't, what does, does that still count to shoot them on the roost? I don't think at if, ten o'clock it does. If, I mean, at that you've point, seen it's just them, a... like literally move all the way around the tree, fly up to a different <laughs> limb. <laughs> Not he flew down at like well, I think it was nine twenty-five in the morning is when they flew down. So there you go. I don't know. Well, Drew, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, man, uh, 
I am a huge fan of people who challenge norms big time. I like people who come in and disrupt things and you are not uh, unfamiliar to the turkey hunting community. You, you, you've got the turkey call company foot on the head. Uh, very popular. It seems like it's everywhere on, on social media. And then last year, you dropped a humdinger and, and challenged the status quo of what a, what a vest should look like, man. Uh, I could ramble, but I think it's best everybody hears from you. What, what are we talking about here? Grounded. Grounded turkey vests um man so i'll kind of start if you want me to go through the story i can kind of start from the very beginning and kind of tell you a little bit about why i did it when i did it um i'll kind of preface it by saying i've I've always wanted and i don't know why but i've always wanted to design a turkey vest um probably since i was like 16 years old like i just loved gear and the aspect of designing it and being intentional and so I wanted to do it, wanted to do it, put it off, put it off, put it off. You know, it's one of those things. One day, one day, one day, right? And um, long story short, man, some things happened in my life and a coworker's life, and it just made me really question, like, is what I'm doing, you know, am I supposed to be doing this or do I need to be doing something else? And so when I sat down and thought about it and prayed about it, it was like, okay, you know, there's something else out there for me. Um, and, and, Man, I'll tell you the story about how I came about with the name of it. So I thought about the name. I run it by my wife, and she's like, absolutely love it. Like, you know, I think it fits, you know, the industry well. I think it fits the application well, you know, it, and it's just an overall just a good name. And so we're like, okay, you know. And so I kind of sit on it, man. And I sat on it for probably like six months. I told one, one friend, that was it, one friend of my wife. And I texted it to him. And I'm like, it's like six months later, seven months later, I'm on my way home from work. And I'm like, when I get home, I'm going to go check the domain and buy it. You know, I get home and I can't remember the name, but literally my mind is just like blank. And I'm like, okay, you know, it'll come. And so like two or three days goes by and I'm like, it literally never came back. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to my text message. Like I never delete any text messages like you can go through my, I got like text messages from like five years ago. Okay. And like, I go through there, man. Like I go back like two years and obviously I know it hadn't been two years since I thought of it. The name's gone. Like that text message is not there. And I'm like, man. So I thought about it, thought about it. And finally, I just told my wife, I said, it's not God's time. It's not God's time. I'm not going to do it. So kind of put it to the side. Okay. Fast forward a year from that. And I'm sitting in a leadership conference that our church puts on um, with a guy named John Maxwell. He's like a big leadership guy. Anyways, I'm sitting in there and it's like, boom, he just hits me right in the face with this statement and the name comes back to me. And I'm like, okay, it's time. Write the name down, text the name to my wife, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like tattoo it on my arm real quick. Like, and I'm like, okay, it's time. And so from that point on, I started, I didn't waste any time from time to that. I started designing the time I brought to market was about four and a half years. Um, I knew nothing about designing. I knew nothing about manufacturing. I knew nothing about um, licensing mossy oak or real tree or camo patterns, or I knew nothing about fabrics. So it was like, I mean, literally, you know, start from scratch. Um, And then you know, through that four and a half year process of bringing it to market, you get samples and then you kind of field test and 
you know, luckily was able to bring it to market last year. Um, couldn't get full production run in hand. So kind of did a little pre-sale to get some hype for it before the season. Uh, that went extremely well. Um, I sold out of my bottom land pattern, you know, in like, or Mossy Oaks new bottom land pattern in like three days, which was phenomenal. I was, I was blown away. had no idea it would hit that hard, um, you know, and just really grateful and thankful for the opportunity. Um, and then was able to get the rest of production in hand. And that's partly what I had this year. So it's been a wild ride for the last year and a half, I would say. Um, it's not at all what I expected it would be. Um, it was extremely hard. It still is extremely hard. I've got a ton to learn, but you know, it's one of those things you take one step each and every day and you try to get better and you try to learn something new. Um, but the reason behind starting it was just really to start a company that offers high end gear for turkey hunters. I feel like the turkey hunt, the turkey hunter himself or herself is overlooked, right? There's a lot of other gear companies out there that tailor gear towards that type of hunting, whether it be waterfowl hunting or whitetail hunting or big game hunting. But nobody does that in the turkey hunting community. Um, I'm the type of individual I would rather, you know, buy once, cry once per se. Um, that's just my personality. I, I want something that's going to be high quality. I'm going to use it for a long time. Um, that way I learn it, you know, and it kind of becomes a part of me. Um, so that's been the goal with Grounded is to keep everything high quality, but to also just focus on the turkey hunter. I don't want to get into the deer stuff, into the waterfowl stuff, into the big game stuff, maybe one day, but I want to be known for turkey hunting gear. That's my passion. That's my love. And so that's kind of where we're headed with the company. So kind of a little background story on how it started, the name behind it um and yeah you know it's always frustrating when you have like five or six questions and your guest doesn't give you a chance after you've thought so hard to to, to have those questions he just knocks them off. i'm kidding that's awesome man that's that that's four years dude like how did you yeah. keep a lid on that for four years I, I find a turkey and i mean aside from sending somebody gps coordinates i think everybody in my phone gets a text message man it's one of those things like so i i I feel like Grounded has a has a very high ceiling. We've got a very high potential within this, you know, for this company and where it could go one day. And it's one of those things, knowing that, you know, I, I listen to a, just a ton of podcasts about, you know, starting a company, building a company, leading a company. And I don't know if y'all know who Sarah Blakely is, but yep. she started a big company called Spanx and sold it for, I don't even know, 200 billion or something like that. It's a lot of money. Okay, and, and I'll never forget, I heard her make this statement that an idea in its infancy is so fragile and it's and you have to really protect it. It's almost like a baby, right? Think of it as a baby. And so the idea in itself was, hey, if I let this idea get out there, like there's some other big fish that I'm going to one day compete against that could really just take this and run with it. They've got more money. They've got a name. They've got experience. They've got all these things that I don't have, right? And so if I kind of let this slip, then it's, you know, it could really put me out before I even get started. Um, and they may still, I hope not, but, you know, we got a long road ahead. But um, it was one of those things I told my wife, I told my mom and my dad, my two in-laws and one one friend. And that was it. That's all I told, you know. And the, mm -hmm. the, the people that I did tell was really just to gain, you know, understanding about, you know, their thoughts behind a turkey vest and how they hunt and what they wanted, you know. And then from there, you go on, you know, forums and Facebook pages and you 
you know, kind of secretly drop questions, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> figure stuff out. You know, it's, it's funny because what you just said, I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. There is entire chunks of, of the hunting community, let alone the Turkey, but there are still, I think huge chunks of the hunting community that get crap gear and it's the best we've ever had. And so we think it's the best there could be. And then you have people uh, that come in and challenge the status quo uh, tethered and is a prime example of that. They come in, they challenge the status quo. Suddenly an entire industry prop pops up and people aren't so much worried about a price point. They're worried about buying the best thing they can because suddenly everything's better. Sitka did the same thing for camouflage, you know, uh, before Sitka hit the market and Kuyu hit the market and these market disruptors came in, you know, we were okay with BDUs and nine cotton layers. And if you were lucky enough to know about wool, I mean, you maybe had some of that, and, uh, but it was probably itchy. And so I am a gear snob. These two individuals here uh, that are joining me bear the brunt of my pickiness to the point where I can always tell when I've run, worn a topic sh shy of, of their uh, attention at that point in time. Backpacks, my God, I can't bring up a backpack probably for the next five to 10 years before Chase is going to shank me. I mean, I just, I talked about it ad nauseum, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've never liked a turkey vest. I had some that were, were good, but it always felt like, it just always felt like it, it was engineered for selling and not for the turkey hunter. So let's talk about this. What did you, what did you seek to resolve with your vest? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Man, so I'll kind of preface this by saying, like, I'll tell you, like, my mindset behind what I wore while I wore. So I wore a Cabela's Tater vest for a long time, and it was a, the, the, the Tater 3, Tactical Tater 3. They don't even sell it anymore. Um, but it was, it was a great vest. It was well-made. Shoot, I hunted out of it for, like, nine or ten years. So obviously quality was fine. But the pocket layout to me just didn't make sense. So my mindset going into it was, number one, it's got to be super high quality. Um but number two, it's got to have a good just pocket layout and be thought out for a turkey hunter. There was just – it just seemed like pockets were put places, right? It was, hey, you open this one zipper and you get one pot call out, right? Well, I've just got a pot call. Like, I don't have a striker. I don't have a conditioning stone. I don't have a Sprillo pad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, okay, I'm doing a lot of extra work here, you know, and I'm making more noise than I should. And this just doesn't seem practical and thought out. So it was like, okay, what – the, you know, then you start going from there. And so the mindset behind this vest that I created, the impact vest, and I know Alps kind of had, they've got an impact vest as well, right? But when I was thinking about naming this thing, not to get off on a little tangent, but I wanted it to represent the company well. And, and that's literally the goal 
Like I want to impact you. I want to impact the, the the next person that buys it, and for the positive, obviously. And so I had the name of the impact because that's that's the goal of the company and of the vest and the products and everything. But so, anyways, we designed it with two main pockets on the front, um, and so those two main pockets are going to house om- almost all of your stuff. You know, it's got your your box call on one side, and then your other side holds your your bill pads, your pot calls, your scotch right, your strikers, your sandpaper, your chalk, if you want to put it in there. And then you kind of, you know, go throughout the vest from there. Um, but the mindset was I want it to be easily laid out to where, boom, you know where everything is. But then also, like, you're not opening a bunch of pockets to get stuff out because you don't want to make a lot of noise turkey, you know. So that's kind of kind of how it started. All right, gentlemen, I'm just going to keep rattling off questions, and you were invited here for a reason. It's y'all's <laughs> turn. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you the, the first thing when I saw the vest, one of the best ideas you had was the clip uh, right here on the chest to undo the strap there. Mm-hmm. I, I take my shoulder strap off every time I sit down with my right arm, but I lose the whole pouch then because it flips around behind me. Yeah. And, you know, to undo that, having that still sit right there, that was, I never thought of that. And I mean, it, and it was one of those, when I saw it on your vest, it was like, Oh, that's oh, look you there. That's a, Snake would have bit me for sure, but uh, that, that's ingenious, absolutely ingenious, and it still holds the pack up, so you still got your back support and everything right there against the tree. Um, right. I mean, that's yeah, that's a really, really well thought out idea right there by far. Do that a lot, man. I'll kind of, if you want me to, I've got the vest right here. You want me let's to do it? Go? Yeah, let's let's run through it, and then you guys, you guys pipe in with questions. Otherwise, I'm gonna run away with it. So, I see that little clip, though, now that you say that. I didn't notice that before, Bo. That's crazy. Yeah, so one thing that um, I think the Dixon vest did well, they had the, the claw sling straps on it, right? It really, like, gripped well. It held well. But one of the things that always frustrated me with my tater vest was I wear a mountain gear, North Mountain Gear leafy suit, right? And um, before they came out, it was a, I wore, like, a cheap Bass Pro Shops, you know, one polyester. So it was real slick. And anytime I'd be walking, I'm, and I don't like having the chest buckles. I don't like having this thing buckled. For whatever reason, I don't, it just constricts me. I don't enjoy it, you know. But it would always slide off. And so I'm like, why doesn't a company put that silicone or something on the bottom of these shoulder straps? You know, and, and nobody ever did that besides the Dixie vest. And so it was like, okay, so, so that's one of the features that we have on here, right, is the silicone on the inside of the straps. So that way, when it's here, man, even if you're not buckled, it's not going to really slide off until you, you know, if you sit down and then it kind of, you know, it comes up, it loosens up. But if you've got weight on it, it's not, it's not going to slide off of you. Um, so that's one of the, the, the top features, man, that I get, you know, comments about and responses and emails about. I was like, man, I love that, you know, aspect of it and feature from it. Um, so we put the silicone there. And I'll kind of start on the left side as you're going to use it, and then I'll come around to the right. So in this pocket, uh, we've got YKK zippers on it. Um, they're, they're quiet, but but most importantly, they're just well made. Um, we've got four pot calls. Most turkey hunters don't carry four pots, but some do. So we offer that, that option there. Um, you can put four different strikers within this pocket. Um, so... Personally, I carry two pots and then the other pot call holders, I put my stone in and then my Brillo pads. I don't use sandpaper. Um, I think I put some chalk in there. I chalk an aluminum call every now and then, get a little better grip on it. So pro tip for you right there. Yeah. Just <laughs> chalk on it. It's not going to hurt the call or anything like that. Um, 
So that's kind of on this side. Um, one big main pocket's going to house those things. Okay, right above it, another quick, easy, quiet access point. You've got we've got a uh, magnetized mouth call pocket on here. It's just deeper than the than the height of a mouth call. Um, so it's not like you're having to like reach way down in there to grab the thing. So it's super quiet. It's a strong magnet. It's, I mean, you can hear probably in the video here, right? Yeah. It's not just going to open if you have to crawl or lean over anything like that. Um, next to that, we've got a locator call pocket. Um, it's made so that the locator call fits about halfway down because you don't want to, it's so skinny. You don't want to have to try to get your finger in there. So I always tell people, if you're going to put one, put a lanyard on it and put that lanyard around this strap right here. So that way if you do lean over or something and it falls out, you know, you don't lose the call. Um, so I wanted those to be quick, easy, you know, accessibly. I mean, just, just really quiet overall. So we put those with magnets on same thing. Those two pockets are on the right side of the vest too. So if you have a hand preference on which, you know, which hand you want to use to grab it with, you know, you've got that option. Um, the, the feature that a lot of people really like too is this vest has a ton of storage. So right here along the inside, you've got one huge pocket. And within here, we've got a reinforced um, sleeve for pruning shears. So you can put them in here. They're not going to poke a hole through it. Every Cabela's vest that I had, always I poked a hole right through it. Every time, it never failed. So it might take me four years to do it, but I did poke a hole through it. <laughs> uh, so we put, some, we put some extra material in there to reinforce that, and hopefully, you know, you won't have that problem. Um, and then one on the inside of the vest, as you open it up, just one mesh pocket kind of store whatever you want to. Um, and as we go around to the right side, we've got the same big pocket here mirrored with shears. So you, again, you know, if you've got that hand preference, you can choose that, um, which side you want to put it on big pocket on the inside. And then the other main pocket here on this side is the one that's got your box call sleeve in it. It's got your, um, shell, um, pouches right there. So, or sleeves, if you want to hold your extra shells in there, you can do that. We did make them a little bit tighter than than um, most companies. They'll fit a 12 gauge shell, a 20 gauge shell, 16 and 28 gauge. I've never tried the 410 in there, but I'll say this: the the, the 20 gauge, and I shoot a 20, extremely hard to get in there. So then you don't got to worry about them falling out, slipping. Eventually, you know, if you use the thing for seven, eight, nine, ten years, it'll loosen up and it'll wear out a little bit, but. Um, so a lot of people get it and they're like, dang, them things are tight. Well, they were designed that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but I think you talked about the buckles here. You know, this is what you were referring to. So the thought behind this was what you just talked about is if you sit down and you want to unclip it, you can. Or I've been in situations in the past where turkeys come in where you don't expect them to. And it's like, for some, if for some reason you get caught up and you can't swing, you don't have this buckle here that's cumbersome, that's hard, you know what I mean? You just literally, you just reach over, you clip it, and then you can turn out of it if you need to. Um, so that was another thought that we had behind the buckles. The seat is attached on the back with a magnet. How strong is that magnet? It's, it's strong. I mean, you can, you're going to walk through the woods. Uh, and you can... You can hear it just like you can the other one. Um, my of, of all the, the competitors that I have on the market that make turkey vests, and there's other good vests out there, but the next closest pull pressure pound per magnet would be, I think, I don't remember what company it is, 
but it's 21 pounds of full pressure. Okay. Mine, and, and a lot of people complain about it falling off. Mine's 40 or 39. It's like 39.6. So it's significantly stronger. Okay. So you don't have to worry about this thing coming off unless you're, you know what I mean? Like literally running through the woods, you know what I mean? And it's bouncing up and down and flopping. In that case, it'll come off. But if you're just walking, you know, you bump it on a tree or something like that, it ain't just going to fall off. Um, we source the densest memory foam that we could find because, you know, sometimes you have long sits. Sometimes that turkey's out there with two or three hens and he doesn't break for an hour and a half, right? And you need to be comfortable. You don't need to be fidgeting around and moving and going to this butt cheek and that butt cheek. Like, you know, you need to be comfortable. So we put a really dense memory foam seat on it. Um, and then probably the last feature that a lot of people really like is at the top, we've got a place that houses a water bladder. Um, you still there, buddy? And then you, that's probably, can you hear me? Was that me? Could you guys hear him? Oh, dead coming. So, yeah, we put, put the water bladder in here, but you can also, we've got um, water bottle sleeves on each side. So there's one on the in, on the outside there, and there's another one on the inside. So if you want it, you know, protected, you know, if you don't want anything to see it or whatnot, you can put it on the inside, whatever your preference is. Um, so there's a lot of storage in this vest. Um, some people don't like that because some people aren't disciplined and just can't not put stuff in it. But you know, eventually you gotta make that decision for yourself. I feel so attacked right now. Did <laughs> <laughs> your best have everything in it? Well, it used to. That I bought that one because it's uh it's it's got limited storage, and so I was trying not to take everything yeah. with me, you know. But I also started, I started self-filming. And so naturally you can't carry as much so that, oh, I, man. you know, I, I think, mm -hmm. I think that's what I like about your vest and, and the appeal of it to me is it, it has the ability to do so much. When I saw those big pockets on the side, I'm like, dude, I can tuck my Sony in that Joker and zip it up for when you know yep. you're walking three, four miles, you ain't got to hold that thing. And you can put your tripod in the, in the back, you know, like I, I like yeah. this vest for a lot of reasons, but it's not adaptable and that one feels like it's truly meant to be adaptable yeah i mean i, I think it's basically it's it's the epitome of a running gut vest uh mm -hmm. one you've designed um i mean it that, that's the impact i see it having uh greatly i mean that, that looks like a vest i can i mean all my stuff's in my truck right now but i feel like i could grab that vest and i could walk six miles with no issues um even if i did load it down i mean it just looks light it looks like it's, it rides well and you took the time to think about it the silicone on the shoulder straps i i, I wear a leaky suit and i've worn one for years i've had the same issues um i uh, to the point where i've put electrical tape around the top of my shoulders trying to get a little extra grip on that um yeah that's a that's a really well good thought there and i love the little uh, mouth call pocket there my wife would probably say something would fall in there and it looked funny but i I, that's me. It'd be to take out my front left pocket running around with one in there for sure. Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to – a lot of people are like, man, you got the best vest on the market. There's a lot of great options out there, and every turkey hunter is different, man. You know, everybody's got their own preference, their own like, – I can't tell you how many people are like, man, you need two box call pockets, and you need a long box pocket, and you need only two pot call holders. You know what I mean? Like, every turkey hunter is different, but it's a great addition to the market. Um like it competes well, it's priced well, but at the end of the day, I can't sit here and say that it's the best because every, you know, 
every hunter is different and everybody's got their own, you know, wants, needs, and desires out of the best. So it's a good option. Chase, you've been thinking hard there for a second. What's on your mind, sir? (laughs) No, I mean, the thing that always bugs me about best is basically the cushion um, on all of them because it seems like I can sit for maybe five minutes, ten minutes before one of my butt cheeks is falling asleep or it's just I'm wiggling around, moving, uh, trying to get comfortable. Um, And – I'd have to see the vest a little bit more about like the mouth call storage yeah. on it. Are is it in a, are you talking about in the bin for the, like your little mouth call bin that you can put right there? Right. Yeah. It's kind of hard to see, especially well, for Slido Hill. Oh yeah. The There's a little, just, I mean, it's a pocket. It's two, it's like two and a quarter inches wide, two and a quarter inches deep. Um, so I mean, literally like it's just bigger than a mouth call and got a little magnet on there. Okay. And, and then they're on each side. Nice. Um, so there's yeah. not like, like you'll see like, like the, it's almost imagine like a, um, you know, the pinch pal pouches or whatever they call them, people hang from their neck. It's similar to that, okay. um, but it's just, built, it's just built on the vest. There's no slots there. There's a couple mouth call holders out there that you put around your neck that have slots in them so that you can individualize each call. Um, this one's not like that. So you could put, you know, four calls in there. They'd all be touching. Um, it doesn't, it does not have slots in there for each, each individual call. If that yeah. makes sense. Right. Yeah. I generally put mine. There's like little, those little like elastic mesh pockets or whatever that might be yeah. on the outside of where you'd have a pot call or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of wanted one like up higher on the, on the strap up here. Cause that's instead of like trying to figure out which one I'm grabbing, I could actually see it like yeah. on the strap or whatever, but I hadn't seen one uh, like that. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's a good, looks like a pretty good idea, better than what I'm currently doing. Man, that's uh, what calls. So, so I don't run a, a lot of calls. I've got, I'll tell you everything that's in my vest right now, right? I've got two mouth calls. I've got two pot calls and I've got two tube calls. <laughs> and then other than my face mask and gloves and the, I mean, water bottle. You know, or a snack or whatever. That's it. That's all I carry. Mm. Um, again, personal preference. You know, I like to be light. I don't like to carry a lot of stuff. So that's all I carry. I, I've gotten, I've gotten to be, <laughs> as I've tried to get better, I've gotten to be more of a fan of multiple mouth calls over multiple others. And so I almost always have like four mouth calls in, in my in my vest. The appeal to that. Uh, vest to me is the ability to kind of segment what's on either side I'm real Mm. diligent about where I put things and um, I I feel like I like to be able to grab my gear and go and not have to change calls out in and out you know if it's really windy I I need to put an aluminum in there if it's not very windy maybe I'm putting my glass back in there but with those four mouth calls you can have a really hot mouth call for for windy days and you can have your closing calls and your and your ghost cuts and stuff and so um but I'll be honest with you, man. When I saw that Joker had four pot call spots, the the hoarder in me really kicked in. I'm like, man, I could put all four of my daggum calls in that thing, That's right. and no matter what happens, I'm yeah. ready. That's right, man. <laughs> Carry it all with you, right? That's what my dad does, uh, and I hunt with my dad pretty much every day that I hunt. I'm thankful I get that opportunity. But That's uh, cool. I mean, he does. He's got all kinds of stuff, and he don't use half of it. You know, <laughs> 
He's got it with him in case one day he needs it. Yeah, yeah. So definitely got that option if you want to carry all four, man. Have at it. Oh, yeah. Some of it's just nostalgia. That reason our calls that I carry is just like, yeah. oh, my wife gave this to me when we first started dating or something yeah. like that. Right. Used it in 16 years. <laughs> yeah. But, but, it goes in the best. Take it out. I can't do it. <laughs> can't take it out. That's like me. Like, okay, so I've got all the, I've got those calls in there, but I've got three face masks and three pair of gloves in there as well. Sometimes four <laughs> pair of gloves. And I'm just like overly paranoid that I'm gonna lose a pair of gloves or lose a face mask. And so I always have a backup, right? Like you can't go turkey without a face mask or a pair of gloves. Because you can't <laughs> But, I'm always hunting with somebody. That's the first question of the truck. You got a face mask? No. Yeah. Here, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. What color do you want? Yeah. <laughs> Bottom ladder obsession. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I I used to be like that, and then I, I started carrying a thing of Hardy, little face paint. And I was like, worst case scenario, I'll just put Tiger Stripes, you know, on my on my hands or whatever, and yeah, and and quit worrying about it, but. I love that, man. I, I love, I love the fact that you put so much time into it. You know, the fact that you've been a turkey hunter for as long as you have, that this was a four year deal. You know, I don't know why I didn't like see the, uh, the fact that it might've been longer than it was. I guess maybe it's cause you rolled it out so fast. It just felt like, you know, this, not that it was impulsive, but like, you know, this was larger than just, just, you know, get it out for this season. This was something you've been doing for, for a hot second, man. That's yeah. That, that's cool. So, let's let's talk a little turkey here we can tie this into your other your other uh business which i don't know how you stay married because you've got kids you've got two two turkey businesses and your turkey hunting maybe we can have an off offline discussion on what you're doing to keep her happy uh but your two mouth calls what are you running so i run the goat and i run another call that we call the hook our batwing calls the goat is a two reed call stretched on the lighter side um it's got two prophylactic reeds on it and then the other call that i run the hook is a three reed call and it's kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum right like goat i can get real quiet on and semi-loud hooked is great it's a great call for like cutting locating loud yelps you know what i mean just just overall loud hard aggressive calling um, so like you were talking about, you know, you carry, you know, four different mouth calls for, you know, different ends of the spectrum. That's why I carry those two. I like the bat wing. That's what I personally, what I've found to like the best, you know, again, the preference thing, how you push that air across those reeds is going to really dictate the call that you, you know, utilize the best. Um, and the bat wing cut for me is it. So I stick with those. You know, you're talking to a dude who kills a lot of turkeys and puts some time in when he tells you his favorite is the bat wing and he only carries the bat wing because that is trying anybody who's listened to this, get a key key run going on a bat wing and and, and I'll give you a dollar because that thing, man, that's that's a unipurpose item for me. <laughs> I'm not talented enough to do anything besides a yelp and maybe a purr on, on a bat wing, man. <laughs> you know, it's uh Again, everybody's got their preference, and those are, those are my two. Um, for a long time, I ran um, the Legend, ran it for like two years before we actually came out with the Goat, um, and then I also ran another call called that that we have called the Ablest Assassin, and it's just like it's a, you can get so quiet on it, and it's really clear. You cannot get loud on it. You can do those little bubble clucks, like even if you're not a good mouth caller, you can do those little bubble clucks on it. And you can do the really soft wines and, you know, tree yelps and things like that. And so I ran that call for like, 
I mean, probably 10 years. Mm. And I actually, every now and then I do put one in my vest, but not very often. Mm. Depends on where I'm going. But Gentlemen, I've got some closing questions and I'm going to let this, this fella go because he's got uh, vests to ship and calls to make and get out the door. So y'all have any closing thoughts yourselves? I did just want to know what his favorite part of his vest was. You have four years in it. What's your favorite feature that you got in it? Man, I've got I've got two favorite features. I'm not going to tell you one. I'm going to tell you two. The mouth call pocket is because 90% of the time that's what I use is a mouth call. Mm-hmm. So the mouth call pocket being number one. The second thing is the cushion and the magnet that attaches it. It's so quick. It's so easy. And then that, that cushion is just so comfortable. So I'll preface this by saying that, that we were in Texas this spring, right? And I wear, I was wearing the Obsession vest. And we were hunting a roost location the second evening. First or, first or second evening, I don't remember. But we had to sit there for a pretty good while. And it was no time. My butt was just killing me. And... I looked at my dad and I'm like, are you uncomfortable? And he was like, no, I'm good. And then it hit me. I was still running the prototype vest that had the cushion <laughs> on it. That was the wrong cushion that, you know, I don't even sell anymore. I never sold it, but we, you know, in prototyping, it's like, Hey, this is not good enough. But when I pre-sold everything last year, I sold out. And so I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to sell this stuff. I can utilize something different. You know, even if it's an old prototype, it's cool. And that's what I ended up doing. And then I'm still utilizing it this year. And I'm like, all right, I got to switch this. I got to get it. So when I got back to town, that was the first thing I did. I grabbed one of them new seat cushions. And I'm like, man, this is a game changer right here. <laughs> so mouth call pocket and the cushion. Those are my, those are my two favorite features on it. You, you got to love it when the owner himself sells himself again afterwards on this on his on his product man i <laughs> i think i about hyperextended my knee last year because i was sitting on a roosted tur- uh, turkey and a swamp bottom that took forever to come down and when he finally came down he literally flew through the swamp like a, a fighter jet and landed to my side and i shot him and he was flopping and so i went to jump up and i got this on camera it's embarrassing as can be i sound like a, like a 60 year old man that got punched in the gut i jump up in my right leg because i didn't have i wasn't on the cushion i was afraid to move it was dead i'm talking just dead and i went to stand on that thing and i just go oh and i put the camera I about fall over before i get over to the to the bird man but that's that's what i'm excited about i'm, I'm really excited about getting that 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 ability to sit there for a little bit longer because i'm an anxious person as it is but if i could be comfortable i think maybe i could eke out another five ten minutes and maybe kill a bird yeah you know being comfortable is huge because if you're not, you know, and you move just, I mean, y'all know, y'all turkey hunt. Like, yep. y'all understand how good these animals can see. Um, man, if you're not comfortable, that can be a Debbie Downer real quick. Like, I yep. mean, it can ruin a hunt, man, so fast. And you're just like, oh, I got all this time in it. And, you know what I mean? Now I blew it. Like, so, yeah, got to be comfortable. Got to be. All right, Chase, what's your thought? Uh is there going to be a generation two? There will be a generation two. So, you know, one of the one of the things about my company versus competitors companies, I want to be very open and be very transparent. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything that I'm going to come out with, right? Because obviously there's a strategy behind it and everything. Um, there will be a version two out next year. Um, so the buckles on the straps, I've had some issues not holding. Um, and it seems to be what I have found dictated or stemmed from people that carry a whole lot of stuff with them. 
Okay, so they've got a lot of weight in the front two pockets or just on the front of the vest. And over time, as you're walking, it tends, those buckles tend to slip out. And so we're going to change the buckles on the front. Uh, there will still be buckles there to unclip from, um, but we will change those. I'm going to change them on the game bag because the same thing can happen on the game bag, especially if you're putting stuff back there a lot. Um, like I carry extra jackets or, you know what I mean? Every now and then if I'm going to a spot where I'm going to be sitting a long time, I'll put a chair back there. So those buckles tend to slip and all that extra webbing tends to loosen up over time. And uh, then it's just a pain. You just got to tighten it back up. It's not hard. Um, but yeah, there will be a generation two out next year. Gotcha. I'm glad you asked that. That was one of my closers, Chase. That was a good one, man. I was, I was going to say, tell us about it, but you just asked the question. He was, he, he he's the kind of guy, he's just going to tell you about it. So that's, that's awesome, man. I, What's the future look like for like additional vests for you? Like, are you going to, are you going to be the guy that has like a, a vest with no box call pocket, a vest with nothing but box call pockets? Is that the goal? Or are you going to be really systematic about what you kind of roll out and perfect what you have over a series of years before you branch out? Yeah. So to me, I'm going to come out with more vests. Um, it will be, you know, kind of systematic like you were talking about, right? So, again, going into this, I had no experience in manufacturing and any of this stuff, right? So, you encounter a problem, and then you, you got to learn to overcome the problem and figure out ways to solve the problem. Um, you know, with this vest, the issue of the buckles, you know, was a big one. So, it's like, okay, one of the things I learned is like, okay, I'm going to learn at least for one more year. Now, mm -hmm. I'm working on other projects um, right now, not necessarily a vest, um, but there will be other vests to come eventually. Now, it may take me three or four years before I get there, but I still feel like I have at least one more year of learning before um, I start to develop another vest or something like that. But eventually through the years, Lord willing, there will be more vests out, not just this one. I like that, man. That's, that's exciting. If you carry the passion that you have for this with everything else, it's obviously going to be a winner. So here's my closer for you, my good man. I want you to share with everyone your most embarrassing turkey hunt. Most embarrassing turkey hunt? The one that just at the end of the day, you're laying in bed and you can't sleep and it's living rent-free in the back of your head. Oh, gosh, man. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> like there's literally so like people ask me all the time like have you ever missed a turkey i'm like oh absolutely i've missed a turkey like you know i there's no telling how many turkeys i've missed like an unbelievable <laughs> amount unfortunately and i wish that was not the case um but probably one that is was just like are you serious just like i was probably 12 years old and my dad used to take me turkey hunting before school and you know we might not get very long you know, to hunt, but we'd at least go. And we're sitting there on this bench up in the mountain and turkeys have been gobbling. Really, there was there was one turkey gobbling way off to our right. So we really, you know, didn't feel like we were in the game. Um, and all of a sudden I kind of looked to the left and here comes two longbeards, you know, coming right down. I mean, right in our lap. I mean, they go behind this big rock, tell my dad, get our guns up. They walk right out, both broadside. Okay. We shoot, both of us with. Both of us, boom, boom, we whip. And, you know, we're just like, what just happened, right? Turkeys pitched off the mountain and fly down, um, kind of river makes a big bend, makes a big horseshoe. And uh, we had kind of suspected that 
in the back of that bend, there's a field. And it was that direction that the turkey went. So we were like, well, let's go down there. We've still got some time. And so we go down there and I'm like 99% sure it was the same two turkeys. We end up striking them again. They come up there and dad gum if I didn't miss again. Like, now I could be wrong. They could have been two different turkeys, but just where they were and knowing the farm and the lay of the land, you know, I just really suspected that they were the same two. We only, I was the only one that got a shot that time. My dad didn't even get a shot. So, you know, I had to eat that one. But that's probably one of my most embarrassing. I, I mean, I'm sure there's something else that might be better than that. Um, but I can't come up with it right off the cuff. <laughs> we'll chew on it. We'll have you on for a part two at some point in time. We'll, we'll, we'll stop yeah. embarrassing turkey stories. Okay, well, what's yours? <laughs> I'm a turkey hunter. That's the embarrassing part. The fact that I kill turkeys is an embarrassment. No, um, <laughs> That's the joke. Uh, yeah, that's the joke. Walter's a turkey hunter. Um, what's my most embarrassing turkey? I don't know that I've been around long enough to have a most embarrassing. I feel like after only three seasons, like I'm just I'm the butt of every joke until moving forward because I've I don't know that I've made enough good mistakes yet, man. I just don't I don't know if I've got one. Well, Bo, what about you? Because I know you're a turkey hunter. <laughs> Oof. Uh. There's a couple uh, that come to mind. Um, I, I'll say I, you said something earlier that, that I, I can relate to. I hope with my father a lot. Um, we, I mean, he, he retired a couple of years ago, so we, if, if I can make it over to the lease, I'll, I'll hunt with him um, almost every time. Um, one of the uh, – he picks all the time. It, it's like playing golf with your dad. You know, he just the whole time he compliments you on how good you do stuff. And <laughs> but it's, when I'm hunting with him, I feel just like I'm 10 foot tall. And uh, – but uh, – I, uh, I called a bird in. It was actually uh, two or three years ago. I called a bird in, and he missed. Um, the bird, it, it came in and hung up. He kind of rushed his shot a little bit. But there, there was a second bird, and the bird split completely. And he said, that, that bird over there is not, to, to the left, not scared of us. He said, I don't think I really scared him. We ought to go over there. So we, we walk a little bit. And he said, we should sit down right here. I look at him, I said, there's no way we're going to sit here. That bird's going to come in here. There's no big deal. And I cut just one time. Didn't even get the second one out. And he gobbled three pine rows over. And there was just a wall there. And he looks at me, my dad, and goes, I told you. And the bird steps out and gobbles again before taking flight and flying. Oh, man. So I, I had a nice 200-yard walk back to the truck with uh, without <laughs> receiving how good of a turkey hunter I was from, uh, from my father's birthday. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that one there hurt, and uh, that one does live rent free in the back of my mind. As I bet it does out. too. Yeah, yeah no doubt. <laughs> okay, Chase, it's your turn. <laughs> oh man, uh, most embarrassing. I'd probably say it was probably the first bird that I ever shot at, and I was new to uh, turkey hunting. My father-in-law actually got me into uh, turkey hunting. And like I said, the only thing I had was that box call that I mentioned earlier. I only had a box call and he gave me some decoys because it was this little piece that um, I was going to be hunting. And he had this huge area that he was going to go hunt. He's like, yeah, you can kind of come set up over here. He's like, there's a, and the, I mean, I didn't do nothing about turkey hunting, really. He's like, just, he's like, there's a tree stand right over there. He's like, go get up in that tree. He's wanting me to hunt from a tree stand basically with the shotgun. So he's like, go put your decoy out. So it's in the dark. I've never even been in this spot. So I put the decoy out, go climb up in this like 20 foot tree stand get in it i'm sitting there it's dark bird fires off i mean i couldn't be 
probably 30 or 40 yards from this bird. He's, he's hammering. And I'm like, Oh, well, I don't even know what to do. I just kind of just hit the box call. I knew nothing about anything. Just hit the box call a little bit, make a little bit of noise. He's, he hammers to it and he flies down like right on top of my decoy. And I was using my father-in-law shotgun, which was, it was like a three and a half inch, um, shotgun. And I had never, I'd actually had never shot it before. So birds right there on the decoy i fire at it and i guess i didn't have it butted up against my shoulder very well because it kicked up and hit me like dead in the face like dead in the face and i'm like who the heck just punched me in the face and i look down the bird's still standing there like he's just kind of like still right at the decoys so i'm like well i guess i'm gonna give him another one shoot again bam hits me in the face again and uh (laughs) the bird at that point finally just runs off and i'm like how the heck did I miss this bird? Um, I'm shooting like this three and a half inch uh, turkey rounds, whatever. Well, I didn't realize I had put that decoy out there like probably 70 yards from the, where the tree stand actually, or from the tree stand actually was. And I was what, 20 feet up in a tree or whatever. So um, I just chalked that up to inexperience uh, more than probably embarrassing, <laughs> but uh, that's probably my most embarrassing uh, turkey hunt right there. Getting punched in the face. Like literally I thought Mike Tyson had punched me in the face twice. <laughs> that's hilarious. That <laughs> I've never heard that story, man. That it was like an up. old Mossberg, like pump shotgun. And I mean, like I said, I was definitely not ready for it whenever I pulled that trigger. <laughs> Uh, shoot dude well dude man listen here's the deal i would love to have you back on at some point i think we could just talk turkey i think we could we could talk turkey tactics i want i want to do that again my goal is to get to alabama in the very near future probably not this year but definitely next year i want to get my 49 by 49 is kind of my goal so i'm gonna start hitting the states that are nearby so maybe i can combine a long trip up to alabama you know because y'all's hunting ends at two right um one on public one yeah one. so it, it it's liable to be one of those situations where i'm gonna be bored in the afternoons and so yeah, man. Maybe, maybe we can get up and you can teach me how to run a turkey call let's do it i'd love to all right before we leave tell everybody where they can find your two brands so that now that they're hyped up they can go spend hundreds of dollars with you that, that's right yeah thousands i mean preferably but <laughs> never <laughs> Uh, so, so if you're interested in the best, um, I'll have a glove and face mask out soon. Um, that's kind of a, it hasn't been a secret. I launched or I released those, I guess, at the NWCF convention in Nashville. Um, groundedbrand.com. You can check those out there if you're interested in any calls. We offer pretty much everything turkey call. Um, footonthehead.com. DA. DA for Drew Abel. That's how that came about. Dad gummit, that's clever. I should have seen that coming too, man. I walked uh, right into that. That's cool. You go to Turkey, you put your foot on the head. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. Okay, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor. Go follow them on social media at the bare minimum. But if you if you want some some good stuff and to support a good guy, clearly who's got a passion for for bringing us the best stuff that he can possibly put together, uh, go patronize his store, spend some money with him. Until next time. No matter what you do, do me one solid. Get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. 
For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.